Great. Uh, so what I can tell you on this stuff in terms of healing, um, I've prayed about this stuff, pursued this stuff uh, for a long time. Let me give you my basic approach of pursuing God, okay? This is my motto for pursuing God. I'll give it to you. It's, a, it's just, it's guided me well over the years. It's four phrases. Here it is. Ever grateful. Never satisfied. Relentlessly pursuing him for more of himself. Never taking offense. I'll give it to you again. Ever grateful. Never satisfied. Relentlessly pursuing him for more of himself. Never taking offense. I'll give it to you one more time. Ever grateful. Never satisfied. Relentlessly pursuing him for more of himself. Never taking offense. Uh, why that phrase? Well... The ever grateful piece is because when I come to God, I'm always looking for more. And sometimes what I'm really looking for is I'm looking for a great outpouring, a fresh downpour of his love, of his presence, of his fullness. And all I get is a gentle whisper. That's it. I've determined I will be ever grateful whatever he gives me. When I come and, and I'm praying for Jesus to physically appear before me and all I get is a tiny little whisper, I'm going to be grateful, ever grateful. Second, never satisfied. No matter what I get, including the next great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, there's always more. There's always more of God. You cannot exhaust the resources of God. You cannot exhaust the presence of God. So I don't want to become satisfied with yesterday's experience. I want today's manna, okay? I want fresh encounters. So ever grateful, never satisfied, relentlessly pursuing him for more of himself. I never want to be about pursuing his hands. I always want to be about pursuing his face. So we're praying for healing. It's very easy to start listening to your prayers and realize that most of your prayers are about God give me. God give me this. God give me that. God fix this. God solve that. God, I need you to heal this person. Save that person. I need you to provide this. And you know what it is? It's all after his hands. And honestly, imagine being married and having your spouse only come after you for what you could do for them all the time. Give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. Pretty soon you're going to be like, honey, get lost. Okay? This isn't working for me. Okay? What I need is I need to pursue him relationally. My line is I want to pursue him with a theology of power. I want to pursue his face with a theology of power. Pursue his presence with a theology of power. What I've discovered is the more his presence resides with us, the more the power is manifest in our midst. It's, just, it's about him. Don't make it about his hands. Make it about his face. Make it about intimacy. And lastly, never taking offense. The reason why I threw that one in there is because I took offense too many times. I prayed for things to happen. They didn't happen. I was pursuing things that didn't take place. I took offense, and I finally realized this is killing me. And I made a covenant with God that I would never be offended by anything he did not or did do again. And I stopped taking offense. It changed my life to stop taking offense at God. So anyways, for what it's worth, there you go. It's been worth a lot to me, I can tell you that. All right, so ignore the PowerPoint I was going to do. I'm just going to do something totally different. So we got a little bit of time left, and I want to do one last thing with you. I want to talk to you about uh, the filling of the Spirit in this last part. 
And um, there's just a couple of things I want to go over with you. I'm not, I'm not going to give a full talk. I'm just looking at the time and just deciding how much I want to do and, and what I want to do. But let me just start with a story, and, and then I'll, <clears throat> I'll look at a verse, and I'll walk you through some stuff. I said to you before, you know, I grew up in the church, but there wasn't a lot of supernatural activity in the church that I grew up in. Um, when I was 17 years old, I started dating a girl from church, and for the first time in my life, church became interesting to me. <laughs> Thank you. It had nothing to do with church, but she was interesting. I liked her, so that was cool. But when I was 19, she broke up with me, and I drove out of the church building, and at that point, I was starting to pursue God some in my life, and I left the church building and I pulled over on this dirt road between my house and her house and I really, I wept for the first time in my adult life and cried out to the Lord and just said, you know, I mean, I gave this girl my heart, look at what happened to me. And, and I heard God speak for the first time in my life. It wasn't an audible voice, but I knew the thought that entered into my inner being was not my own. And the thought was, that's the same way you've treated me your whole life. Which, by the way, I thought was a bit of a rude introduction for Jesus to make to me. But um, the picture I had was Jesus was standing before me in this picture, and he had his arms open wide. Like, I could literally remember seeing, like, nail prints and so. And his arms were open, inviting me. And in the picture, I could see myself kind of putting my hand out, going, like, you know, not now. Like, I always knew. As a matter of fact, I even used to say to myself sometimes, one day I will follow God wholeheartedly. But it wasn't yet. And, uh, and, and I knew one day I would, but it wasn't yet. And when he said that to me, instantly I felt, instead of tears of self-pity, I felt tears of repentance. And I surrendered. You know, and I'd been coming along sort of one step at a time, but that day I just laid it all out. And I surrendered my life. And I prayed this simple prayer. I said, from now on, Lord, you lead, I follow, you've got me, I'm yours. And I mean, to describe what happened next, I, I can't use language that doesn't sound mystical. You know, it is a mystery to encounter the living God. He's a supernatural being, and there is a mysterious element to this encounter and this relationship that is unavoidable. Paul talks about the mystery, okay? So let me just describe it the best I can. It was like God opened up heaven and poured love into my inner being. It felt like a liquid purging, like there was a flush, a wash in my inner being that was just pure liquid love. It was so intense that literally I went to work the next day. I was working my way through college in a Burger King, you know, while I was in college and just trying to make some money to pay for school. And and I go to work the next day. There was one other person in that workplace that was a believer. It was a woman my age. You know, we were both went to school together, high school and so, and we were in college together. And so anyways, I, I walk in, never said a word. She sees me from across the room, and she goes, you had an encounter with God, she goes. Like she could see it on me, like my visible change. It was dramatic. From that point on, you know, I, I was all in for Jesus. But I'll tell you what was funny. For a lot of people, you know, I started to tell this story to some people, you know, sort of in conversation, and I, I discovered a whole bunch of people didn't know what to do with it. 
So this was the stuff that started, people would say stuff like this to me, well, you know, that's really great. Uh, you know, the feelings won't last. Oh, that's really great. You know, don't rely on experience. And you know, what I discovered was I kept talking to Christians who kept putting water on my fire. And I went, I'm not going to talk to you people anymore. You're killing me. I'm just going to talk to Jesus. Here was the question that I really wanted to get to is, how do you live this life out that's the supernatural life in the fullness of the Spirit? What does it look like to live a life so supernaturally drenched with the presence of the Holy Spirit that the things of Jesus are characteristic of your life? I mean, isn't that what you signed up for? You and I, I'm just going to talk to you. I'm going to just write it down here. What's your name? Greg. Greg, I'll just talk to you. Forget the rest of them. Isn't that what you signed up for? Me too, Greg. That's what I signed up for. And uh, I just went, I got to figure out how I live my life in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to give you just a couple of quick points on the fullness of the Holy Spirit, okay? Here's the key. Please hear me. The question is, not have you ever had a moment where you were filled with the Holy Spirit? The question is, are you currently living in the fullness of the Spirit? And how do you know? So I want to give you the marks of the fullness of the Spirit according to Scripture. And so would you just turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and I'm just going to give you a few of these, and, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to pray. So let's look at Acts 1, and then we'll send you home for the day. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. And again, you know, this is Jesus' ideas, not my ideas. So if you want to, you know, sort of tussle over these issues, please wrestle with him. Here you go, Acts chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse, you know, 4 or 5 there. This, of course, you know, context, Jesus is about ready to rise to go to, to, to his Father. He's, just, he's about ready to ascend. He's giving his final instructions. By the way, notice Verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and notice the phrase, spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Again, here's his very first message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His very last message is about the kingdom. From start to finish, Jesus is always talking about the kingdom. It is the central message of Jesus Christ. It is the kingdom of the gospel. And here he is speaking to them again. Now hear me, this is incredibly important. His whole goal was to release the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom, into our hands so that we could now become the ambassadors of the king advancing the kingdom. But for that to take place, we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He knew this. That's the context. Now, given that, pick up here in, in verse 4. And he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, about which you've heard me speak about. And this, of course, is the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then notice verse 7. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates, because they'd ask him, when is this going to happen? The Father is set by his own authority. But, here's the key. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now listen, I'm just going to pause here for a second. 
The first thing Jesus says is if you are walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, the mark of the Spirit's presence on your life ought to be characterized by power. Now again, this isn't my idea. This is Jesus' idea. But when I am walking in a powerless existence, chances are the river of the Holy Spirit is not running full and fresh in my life. Because just work with me. Where Jesus is present, the power of God comes and the kingdom is manifest. So when I am walking in alignment with Jesus and the river of God is streaming through my life, the presence of God bubbling up within me like an artesian well, as Jesus describes it in John chapter 7, like a river. When I'm walking in the fullness of the Spirit, there is power. That's what Jesus said. So I grew up in a church that didn't see any of this kind of stuff, and I went, man, according to this book, there ought to be power. Here's what's interesting. After I experienced the filling of the Spirit, power started coming. I said to you before, it was the first time in my life I started to hear God's voice, and I knew stuff I had no way of knowing. I'd see someone and knew they were depressed. I had no way of knowing that. And all of a sudden, I'd say to him, you know, I, I, I see you're depressed. And they'd be like, where do you know that? And it was God. See, that's the power of God. That's a demonstration of kingdom power when the Lord gives you insight into someone's soul that you wouldn't have except through supernatural wisdom. That's power, okay? Now, I said before in an earlier session, you know, whenever there's power, there's always risk, Notice in the Acts chapter 3, this passage right after they're filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, Peter and John go to the temple and he says, you know, I don't have any silver or gold. What I, give, what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He says, as he's speaking the word, he pulls her to, her feet, uh, to him, his feet, rise and walk, okay? Please see the risk in this. He's giving the command, rise and walk, and he's literally pulling the guy to his feet. Do you realize if the miracle doesn't take place, what's happening? He's in front of a crowd of people. He's dragging him across the floor, and he looks like an idiot, okay? There's an enormous risk factor. When you're going to move in supernatural power, there's always risk. Let me tell you a story. I had a lady call me one day. This lady was a uh, Muslim woman. She came to my church occasionally. The reason why she came, she was actually a medical doctor, gynecologist. She came to my church periodically because her husband was a Southern Baptist guy. They got married. You know, he wasn't really following God. They ended up having kids, and he decides he's going to go back to church. And so he starts coming to my church because they'd moved up north, and they're, so they get jobs, both of them in Boston. And so anyways, he's, he starts coming to church, and occasionally, you know, a few times a year, she would come. So I knew who she was, but I'd never had a conversation with her really other than hello at the front door. And uh, one day I get a phone call. She says to me, hey, um, can I meet with you? I said, sure, Angela, I'd love to meet with you. And so we set a time, she comes in, and you know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, why does she want to meet with me? And I'm a Muslim doctor. What does she want to meet with me for? And so I'm wondering. And so she gets there, so funny, she, her first line to me when she sits down is, I suppose you're wondering why I wanted to meet with you. I said, actually, yes, I was. And she goes, well, she said, you know I'm a medical doctor. I said, I do. And she goes, I'm experiencing anxiety, and I know it's not medical. And she said, I wanted you to help me. And I said to her, okay. I said, you could have gone to a medical doctor, but she said you knew it wasn't medical. I said, but you could have gone to other people. I'm curious why you still came to me. I said, you know, you're Muslim. I'm not. Why didn't you go, you know, somebody that was 
an imam or whatever. And she goes, well, I said, or you could have gone to a counselor. She goes, yeah, I could have. She goes, well, I'll tell you why. I said, okay, please do. She goes, the only time I feel peace in the last like six months of my life is when I'm sitting under your preaching. I said to her, do you know why? She goes, well, I suppose you're going to tell me it has something to do with Jesus. I said, that's true, but that would be a Sunday school answer. I said, I got more for you than that. I said to her, uh, you could sit under a lot of people's preaching and not feel peace. Let me tell you, I've sat there under that preaching. I said, no. I said, the truth is I've had anxiety in my life and Jesus wiped it out. And I said, what you're experiencing is the victory of Jesus in my life when I'm preaching. I said, does that make sense to you? She said, actually, it does. And I said, you're, you're living under the umbrella of the victory Jesus has established in my heart. That's what you feel. And she goes, okay. I said, I'm going to pray for you. But she said, you need to know I'm going to pray for you in Jesus' name. Is that okay with you? She goes, I knew you would. I said, okay. And I said, can I, can I lay my hand on your head? And she said, yeah. And so I laid my hand on her head. And this is all I prayed. May the peace of Christ come upon you. And then I waited. Please see it again. Watch. Every encounter I ever have with people, this is what I bring to the party. I have nothing. I cannot make you feel peace. That's a Jesus thing. Well, what I can tell you is when I'm carrying the presence of Jesus and there's alignment at the center of my soul, he has promised me a peace that comes from heaven that according to the scriptures passes all understanding. It is a peace that Paul says comes to our mind and our hearts. And when I'm in right alignment with Jesus, I am in perfect peace. I'll tell you a secret about Jesus. He's never nervous. He hasn't had a nervous day in the last two millennial, and he's not planning on being nervous today. He's just never nervous. The only time I miss out on his peace is when I'm out of alignment. And so I said to her, you know, there's peace. And I waited, and I prayed. That's all I prayed, and I could see the peace of Christ descend on her. Literally, heart slowed down. The heart rate slowed down, you know. I could see this the peace, the, just this... Come over, her whole body relaxed. She texted me a month later. She said, since you have prayed for me, I've not experienced any anxiety. I said, and she wrote, I know that's Jesus. Now, you know, here's the cool part, right? You would think after an encounter like that, that she would come to faith, right? No, mm -mm. stop coming to church. But you see, that didn't bother me. You know why? Because I knew he had her. Just a matter of time. So I just waited her out, you know, and uh, one day she called me again. She said, hey, I'm struggling again with something else. Can I meet with you? Sure, I'll meet with you. I prayed with her again. God met her again. Still didn't come to church. After that, she started coming a little bit, you know, periodically would start coming to church. And I had several other encounters with her. Finally, one day she calls me up again and she says, hey, and this is about, you know, three or four years into the relationship. She calls me up one day and she said, hey, um, I have to work today. I can't come in. Could you come in and see me at the office? She said, I, I really, I, I need you again and I need you to pray with me. I said, sure, I'll come. And so I come over and I meet with her and I pray with her in the office. And once again, God really meets her in a significant encounter. And, and afterwards, she looks at me and she goes, I'm ready. And just to be sure, I said, ready for what? Just got to check, right? She goes, well, you know, since the first time you prayed with me and I had that supernatural experience of peace, she goes, I knew Jesus was real. And I guess I believed from that day. But she said, I couldn't really follow him because my family's all Muslim and I knew I might get rejected. But she said, today, he has done so much for me so many times, I can no longer refuse him. And she prayed this beautiful sinner's prayer and gave her life to Christ. It was unreal. It was unreal. 
And then I prayed for her and she got filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing, okay? Hear me. According to Jesus, when we're walking in step with the current fullness of the Holy Spirit, there ought to be power. There ought to be demonstrations of the kingdom because where Jesus is present, the kingdom comes. Let me give you a second thing. And by the way, most of these things you'll notice are really about his mission. And so these displays of the current reality of the Spirit should occur with mission. Second thing. The second thing he says is this. Back to verse 8, Acts chapter 1. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And, and it's the same context, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. Here's the reality. When I'm walking in the current fullness of the Holy Spirit, I have a desire to tell people about Jesus. That's just the way it works. I want to tell people about Jesus. Before I came to faith in Christ, really surrendered my life, got filled with the Holy Spirit, I never told anybody about Jesus. After that encounter I had with Jesus where I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I started telling all my friends about Jesus. I literally made appointments with my friends so I could tell them about Jesus. You know why? Because he was so compelling to me. I couldn't not tell other people. It wasn't anybody told me I was supposed to tell other people. I didn't get any evangelism training. Nobody needed to train me. What had happened was very simple. I had been overwhelmed with the love of Christ and I couldn't shut up. I had to tell others. When you're walking in the current fullness of Jesus and his spirit, what ends up happening is you want to tell other people. That's just kingdom normal. It's the way it works. And so really, this is all a witness does. A witness simply tells what they've seen, what they've heard, and what they've experienced. If you hadn't, you know, out here today, you drove out of here and there was an accident in front of you and you witnessed the accident and you had to give it a report, that's what you would do. You would tell what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced. So the key to being an effective witness is very simple. You need the current activity of Jesus in your life. All a witness does is simply experience Jesus in a way that brings change. And your job, when you come in contact with other people, is to find the intersection point between where Jesus has met you and changed you and where Jesus needs to meet them. The intersection point is the point of witness. That's all you do. Whenever I travel, you know, I always pray this prayer, Lord, do you want me to talk to this person next to me if I'm on a train or a bus or, you know, usually it's a plane or even a taxi, whatever. That's how I always pray, Lord, do you want me to talk to this person? And so, you know, I can't tell you how many encounters I've had with people like this. Um, I told you the one just recently in an AT&T store. I had one a number of years back where I was on a plane. I was traveling, I think, from Chicago to Providence. And I was sitting on the plane, and this woman sat down next to me, and it was kind of a two-seater, you know, a plane that was a two-seater, a little puddle jumper. And, and so I prayed this prayer, Lord, do you want me to talk to this lady? And it was a very clear yes. And so when I got this yes, I just said to her, I said, my name's Rob, what's your name? And she told me her name, and I asked her where she lived. She told me she lived in Chicago. I said, why are you driving to Providence for? And she said, oh, I'm going there. I have some work to do in the city. And, and so I asked her what she did for a living. She tells me what she does for a living. Listen, I'm making conversation only because I'm looking for the intersection point. If the Holy Spirit told me he wants me to talk to her, I guarantee you we're in for a divine appointment. 
All I need to find is the place of intersection, okay? So I kept making conversation, and uh, my next piece for her was, uh, do you have family? She said, yeah, I'm married, and I said, do you have kids? She goes, yeah, she said, I have two sons, and I instantly felt like I'm getting close. I said to her, I said, hey, um, I said, you know, I had no idea the human heart's capacity to love until I had children of my own, and she started to cry, and I went, we're here. And I looked at her and I said to her, uh, I said, I perceive there's pain in connection to your kids. I said, I'm pretty good at this. I do this for a living. If you want to talk about it, I'd be happy to listen. And she goes, I have one of my kids in Chicago. She goes, he's not home. She said, he's currently on drugs. She said, I never know if he's going to make it home. She goes, I wait every day for a phone call that he's going to be dead. Well, you know what? That's pretty intense pain. Now, what you have to understand is, you see, I've had kid pain. I know what it feels like to have a kid that's living in rebellion. And I have had Jesus meet me as a parent with a kid in rebellion. So this is the intersection point. I looked at her and I said to her, I've had kids that have you know, sort of gone off the deep end. And I know what that feels like. And I told her this story. I said, you know, I was, one day I was home in my living room and I was just praying. I was spending time alone with God and I'm praying. And I said, while I was praying, all of a sudden I started feeling grief, like I was moved to tears. And I thought, that's really weird because I don't think I'm grieving over anything. And so whenever that kind of weird stuff happens, I ask God, what's going on? Because he's really smart. He knows stuff I don't know. Theology 101, God is smart. He knows stuff you don't know. You should ask him, okay? And so I'm waiting there and I said, Lord, what is that? And he goes, I'm grieving in you. That's the first time that ever happened to me. And I'm like, okay, you got to explain that. I don't get it. He goes, I'm grieving for your daughter. And instantly, now the grief is full on. I said, now it's not just his grief. Now it's my grief too, right? And I, I, he said to me, she has a secret. So I waited. I didn't ask any more questions. I waited for her to get home. And she came home that day from school and she went up to her room and I followed her upstairs and I knocked on her door and went in and I sat down on her bed and I said to her, sweetheart, I said, a really bizarre experience today. I said, I was sitting there in prayer this morning and I started feeling grief in my inner being. When I asked God what it was, he told me it was him grieving in me for you. And he told me you have a secret. I said, do you want to tell me what it is or would you like God to tell me? <laughs> and some of you think it was a threat and you're wrong. It was actually a gift. You see, there's never any life change without honesty. Honesty is the gateway to humility. Humility is the pathway to life change. If you don't pass the honesty test, you have no chance of transformation. None. People who lie, deny, spin, justify, rationalize, they have no shot at ever changing, ever. You've got to get through that gateway of honesty. And I knew she needed to say it, not me. She needed to say it if she was going to change. And she did. You know, she fumbled over it for quite a bit, and she's like, you already know what it is. You know, started crying. I'm like, I said, I might, but you need to say it. I said, this is your test, not mine. I've passed the honesty test. This is about you. And she finally did. She was honest. She told me what it was, and, you know, uh, and I loved her through it. Over the next five months, that must have happened a half a dozen times. And, you know, it finally got to the place where the kid broke free. But it took a long time to break free. Well, I'm telling this lady this story on a plane, and, man, you know, she's been crying over her son. Listen, please hear me. 
Could you imagine not knowing if your son is going to come home and feeling like God could give you insight and revelation that could lead to his transformation? Could you imagine the hope that that offers to someone? By the way, I never understand how people can follow Jesus and read the Bible and live without the voice of God. I don't, I don't know where I'd be without that still small voice. When you're walking in current fullness of the Spirit, there's witness. Well, you know what? He's giving you divine opportunity. Ephesians 2, we looked at that earlier. He's providing these divine appointments. But if you hear His voice and you lean in, there's witness. Now, one last thing. This one's Acts 2. We read this verse earlier, but I'll read it to you again. Acts 2, verse 17 Yesterday we read this one, or this morning, who knows, they all blend together. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. He's explaining the baptism of the Holy Spirit that just occurred when the Holy Spirit was poured out. You remember they're all speaking in tongues and the people that are listening are hearing it in their own heart language and they can't figure out this weird phenomenon so he explains it. And this is how he explains it. In the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Here's the last thing. You know, when we're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, there's power, there's witness, and there's prophecy. All this stuff is to help mission. Listen, God wants you to hear His voice to help mission. This is what it's all about. You know, I said to you earlier today when we talked about prophecy, about how to hear God's voice, I want you to know early on in my journey, you know, I intentionally cultivated listening space. It was a regular practice for me. Every day, I would spend time alone with the Lord, five minutes, and I'd just quiet my heart and let him speak. Whatever I sensed him saying to me, I'd write it down unfiltered. I wouldn't question, is that God, is that me? I'm not sure, I wouldn't do any of that stuff. I'd just write it down. Then I would test it with scripture. If I needed to, I'd test it with someone else. But every single day, I cultivated this space to hear his voice. Now, hear me, that was incredibly important because if you will create the space to hear God in the private place, you will be able to hear God in the public place. But if you try to learn how to hear God in the public place, you won't have enough quietude in your inner being to hear his voice. You've got to practice this in the private place. So every day, I practice in the private place, and then I would listen in the public places. All right, one last plane story. I was on a plane this time from, from uh, Boston to Cleveland to Erie, Pennsylvania. Somebody's here from Erie. Who's here from Erie before? You know, a couple people are here from Erie. My apologies to you. I've been there. No, no offense. No, no offense. Uh, so anyways, um, I am, uh, it's too darn cold for me. Uh, of course, I live in New York, and that's too darn cold for me, too. So anyways, I'm, uh, one day I'm on this plane. I'd already done ministry all weekend long, and I was tired, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to fly into Cleveland to catch a plane over to Erie, and, and uh, I get to Cleveland, and there's no plane, none. 
Like, there's no plane, there's nobody behind the desk, there's no flight crew, there's nothing. The airport's empty, except for those of us who are trying to catch this flight. There's a handful of us, and people are not happy. I mean, there are people there that are, you know, really getting upset. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm just, I'm just going to catch a... I'm just going to catch a flight, you know, I'm going to catch a, a, a rental car, and I'm just going to drive to Erie. It's not that far from Cleveland to Erie, and I'll just get a pl- car, and I'll drive, and, and I'm tired, man. It's getting close to midnight now, and I get to get up and speak in the morning for, at that point, the DS there was Jeff Norris. I was speaking 21 times in the next five days. Thank you. Appreciate the mercy. Uh, Jeff has none, but I appreciate your mercy. And so he worked me like a mule every time I went to that district. And so anyways, I, uh, and he knows I say that, by the way. Uh, so anyways, I, I thought, I just got to get there and I got to get to bed because I got to start this thing at 830 in the morning and I'm beat. And so I'm thinking that thought and I'm going to get um, in my mind, I'm getting ready to get up to get a rental car. And I see this lady, she's dressed very neat, um, looks like a church lady, you know, very very proper. She's very attractive older lady. I would say she's mid-60s, very put together. And she is swearing. I mean, she's got a mouth on her like a saltwater crocodile. I mean, it is just toxic. And she is dropping F-bombs like the letter, like the word the. I mean, just boom, blowing up all over the room. And I look at this old lady and I just put my head down. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to get out of here. And I hear the Holy Spirit. He says to me, I want you to talk to the swearing old lady. I'm like, no, God, no, not the swearing old lady, anybody but her. Look at that nice little man over there. Let's go talk to him. He's like, talk to the swearing old lady. And I'm arguing with him. And the next thing I know, the swearing old lady walks over and sits her butt down right next to me. I mean, I'm in an empty row, like this front row. There's like 20 chairs. I'm sitting right here and she sits right next to me. Aha, you're so funny. All right, fine. I'll talk to the swearing old lady. So I stick my hand on and go, Hey, what's your name? My name's Rob. She goes, Barbara. And uh, I said to her, Barbara, I said, where are you headed? And she goes, Erie blank, blank, Pennsylvania. I said, that's kind of how I'm feeling about it too tonight, Barbara. I said to her, Barbara, I said, what do you do there? And she said, I live there. And I said, yeah. And I said, okay. I said, well, I'm just headed there for a bit. And she goes, "Uh, I own a business there too, which by the way, surprised me because I thought she'd be retired. And I was like, oh, okay. What do you do? And she tells me what she does. So she says to me, what do you do for a living? What's a normal thing? You're talking about business. What do you do? What do you do for a living, right? It's a normal conversation. Normally, I said to you earlier, when somebody asked me that question, I don't say I'm a minister because I'm just telling you right now, that's like a wet blanket on any fire in any room at any given time. That just puts out all conversation, right? So normally I avoid that. I mean, I do a lot of interesting things for a living. I'm a communicator. I, I, I do conferences all over the world. I'm an author. I teach in a doctoral program. If I want to keep a conversation going, I got a lot of good things to go with, right? But I thought to myself, God, you got me into this thing. You're going to have to get me out of this thing if you really want me in this thing. So, you know, she's been dropping the F-bomb all over the room. I'm going to drop the M-bomb. Boom. I'm a minister. Take that, right? Don't you know? She looks at me and she goes, oh, my father is a Methodist minister, she goes. To which I thought to myself, that's where you learned how to swear like that, but I didn't say it. No offense to the Methodists. They're some of my favorites, actually. Right then, you know, flight crew comes in. It was weird. The pilot and the flight crew comes in. There was no counterperson. They literally swept us onto the plane with them. 
They were so late, they just said, come on the plane with us, we'll take your tickets on the plane. I've never seen no protocol, ever. It's the only time I've ever seen it. Literally, we sit down in the plane, so I get up, I'm going in the plane, I sit down, come on, don't you know who's sitting right next to me? I mean, you can't, you know, you can't even make this stuff up. She sits down right next to me, and I'm just like, you, you are funny. Okay, I got it, I got it. So I'm going to talk to this weird old lady all the way to Erie, Pennsylvania, fine. And so I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, they start to plane up, this lady leans over over she was sitting across the aisle from me again it was just a little two-seater and she's sitting across the aisle from me she leans over she takes me by the hand and she says to me I'm dying of cancer would you pray for me and I took her hand and I said to her Barbara I said uh the plane's really loud I said why don't you wait till we get to Erie and I'll pray with you in the airport she said okay it was a short flight I don't know it was 20 minutes or something it's super short it was long enough to repent anyways We landed in Erie. We get to the airport. Her husband was there. Jim was his name. He was there to pick her up. She introduced me. It was funny. I love old people. They all still think I'm young. She goes, oh, Jim. She goes, I met this nice young minister. And she introduces me. And I just said to him, I said, Jim, listen. I said, Barbara told me she has cancer. I said, I'd like to pray for her. Can we pray? He starts crying. She starts crying. I I hold their hand. We're sitting in the middle of Erie, Pennsylvania airport, and we're holding hands. And I prayed for her. When I was finished praying, she reached her arms around me and held me tight and cried and whispered in my ear, I had lost my faith, and tonight God sent me you. See, what I'm going to tell you is when you're walking in the current fullness of the Spirit, there's power for witness. And there's witness. There's divine appointments. And you hear his voice. And it helps people. That's kingdom norm. And for some of you, you know, you you have a day in your life you can look back and go, you know, I remember that day I encountered God and I got filled with the Holy Spirit. That's great. I have some of those too. My question for you tonight, though, is are you currently walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here tonight and you really would like to be filled again and walk in the current fullness of the Spirit, I'm just going to ask if you'd stand right where you are. I'm going to pray a prayer, you know, kind of publicly to kick this off. And then I'm going to ask, you know, ministry team members if they'll join me. And we're just going to come. I'm going to ask these guys to play some just soft music in the background. And we're just going to come and lay hands on people and ask the Holy Spirit to fill people. Just linger. Here's what I want you to do when you're lingering as people are, as you're waiting for people to come. Just fix your eyes on Jesus. You don't need to say anything. Just attend to his presence. Let your heart cry. Be more. Just more. I just want more. Longing. Father, I pray you would plant a seed of longing in our hearts. Desire. Longing. Longing for you. We started the day talking about David's longing 
And I pray you'd plant that same holy seed of longing in each one of our hearts that we would long for you. It's hard to rise above our level of desire. Give us longing. Second, Lord, I I just pray you would sweep across this region of the country and begin here in us. May we have a fresh touch today, a fresh encounter with you, a fresh filling with your spirit. Give us more. And now, Lord, we look to you. We simply fix our eyes on you and wait upon you. Now come, Holy Spirit. Rest on your people. Rest. Rest.